Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis Church. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to James chapter 1 in the New Testament. It'll be uh, close to the back of your Bible. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, it's page 847. And uh, we'll have some words for you on the screen, too. We'd love for you to follow along with us today. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series uh, here at Genesis that we're calling Against the Grain. It's based on a book in the New Testament uh, that was written by, get this, by one of Jesus' little brothers, and uh, his name was James, and the letter that he wrote has been creatively titled, drumroll please, James, right? I mean, a very creative title here, but uh, one of the interesting things about James is that many scholars believe that Jesus and James uh, maybe were at odds with one another, more James against Jesus, obviously, but uh, James thought he was crazy, all right? James didn't believe he was who he said he was, and uh, but one day something changed all of that, and I've heard the question raised before, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God, right? Probably come back from the dead, all right? And that's the case here likely with, with James and Jesus. See, the resurrection was the real turning point uh, for James and for so many others. And last week we learned that James would become an important leader uh, in the Christian church in Jerusalem. And experts believe that he wrote his letter 10 to 12 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and it's written, all right, to Christians, all right? James wrote this letter with Christians in mind, specifically those who were suffering incredible persecution uh, during the day. And many of these Christians, what they had done is they had been chased from their homes in Jerusalem and now were struggling to survive in surrounding communities, which meant that they now were in a situation where as followers of Jesus, they were the minority population, all right, living in a culture that was growing increasingly hostile to their belief system. And so knowing this, James writes to challenge these Christians to keep up the faith. All right, to not give in, but to keep living, to keep trusting, and to live in a way that many would have considered countercultural. And that's why we've called this series Against the Grain. And we believe that what James was writing here, all right, inspired from God, but writing here, uh, that these words of wisdom are, are words of wisdom for us today as well, that they're still applicable to us uh, nearly 2,000 years later. And as we discovered last week, uh, James opens his letter here by reminding us that we're going to go through hard times. All right, if you were with us last week, we talked about these trials, uh, these difficult times that every single one of us will go through, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. We're going to go through hard times, all right? But he says this, James reminded us of this, that we will go through these hard trials, but thankfully, here's what happens. Life's trials provide an opportunity for you and I to grow in our faith, that God can do things. He can do great things, even through some of our most difficult days and seasons and as, as we trust Him. Well, this week, James is going to continue down that path of encouragement really by addressing an issue that just like last week impacts every single one of us. All right. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, new to church or not. We all go through these things. Uh, it's something that trials often give way to in life. And if we're not careful, something capable of, inc uh, 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 something capable of wreaking incredible chaos and havoc on any of our lives and, and for others as well. And so here's what we're going to do. We did this last week. I hope you don't mind if we do this again. I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, we're going to read through some of these verses that we're looking at today. Uh, James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And I would love it if, you, if you're able to stand that you would read along with us as well as we read these words. Let's read out loud. When, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Thank you. You can have a seat. And before we continue, let's just pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time today. Thank you for giving us this place. Uh, for every person that has come here today, Lord, and thank you for being a God that loves us and cares for us and uh, that you desire to, to speak into our lives and to guide and direct us, and we pray that you would do just that today. Uh, open up our hearts, Lord, to hear from you. You know every person here today. You know every story. You know every question that we have. And we just pray and ask, Lord, that your presence, that, that through it, that each of us would have an encounter today, Lord, that can only come from you and that we would follow, that we would take whatever next steps you lead us to. Give us great faith. Give us great trust and hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Now, if you were here with us last week, or even if you weren't, we ended with James chapter 1, verse 12, that says, uh, Blessed is the one, James writes, who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, for those that were listening, they recognized the fact that James was using uh, competitive language, athletic running sort of language here to encourage them. And uh, how many of you yesterday either completed the monumental half or full marathon? I know we had a bunch of people in the first service, people around the room. Let's give them a big hand uh, for competing and com uh, completing yesterday. I know that many of you ran on behalf of World Vision and helped raise money for them. Maybe for others of you, it was just a great accomplishment, some goals that you had set. Uh, uh, my wife, Jenny, and I, uh, Jenny said this. She said, Paul, you ran two marathons yesterday, your first and your last, right? And so it certainly was a first for me, and uh, we had done a lot of training. We ran the, the full together, and here's a picture that a, a friend of ours snapped uh, of us running together. This is around mile 15, Sunday. Guns out, guns out, right? And, uh, and if you're thinking to yourself, wow, they were doing really well, I promise you mile 22 smacked that stupid smile off my face, all right? <laughs> Uh, it, it went downhill when we, when, we, when we crossed mile 20, but we did well. It was a wonderful experience together. And if, if you've never done anything like that before and you wonder, how, how could you do something like that? I mean, there, a big part of it is uh, finishing, right? It's the joy of finishing the race. It's the realization or uh, uh, it's, just, it's kind of the joy of knowing that you have run, that you've, you've done it, that that's what pushes you. And that's what James is saying here. It's what he was speaking about last week when it comes to our trials, that persevering. 
uh, pushing through, hanging on, keeping up the faith. There's a prize that's coming. There's a joy that awaits and is ready for, for each of us. And so he talks about these trials in verse 12. And now in verse 13, he begins to talk about temptations. All right, again, James 1, verse 13. Look at the first half of that verse. James writes, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Now, at first glance, it kind of looks like James is changing subjects here, uh, doing a hard left turn, moving from trials to temptations. But what James really wants us to see and understand is that trials and temptations go hand in hand. And I, I think we all know this. I think we've all experienced this in some way. Like, like think about your work, all right? Whatever you do for a living, like when work gets crazy, all right, when, when the expectations are high and one day you're tempted to cut some corners or maybe cut some throats, right, to, to get ahead, all right, to get ahead of others. Or, or it, the same is true with, with life and just life at home, you know, and with kids and with keeping up with routines and all of the responsibilities. And you've got so many things to do. Like think about how quickly your phone or social media provides a great distraction from maybe dealing with things that matter the most. Or if you're a student, you know, maybe this semester is much more difficult than you anticipated. And so instead of digging in at a time of the year like this, you start considering some shortcuts to get by or, or think about how being single can wear on you. Or if you're not in a great marriage or a great place in your marriage right now, how, how being married can wear on you. And because of it, you're tempted. You're tempted to, to give up or you're tempted to go looking for, for satisfaction uh, in, in all of the wrong places. James is just saying, hey, I get it. All right, James is just, he's, he, he's kind of agreeing with all of us. I, I know what it's like, he's saying. And he wants us to realize that the trials around us are a natural part of life. We're going to go through these, but they also tend to prompt temptations within us. And, and with that in mind, then he gives us a very clear warning, all right, especially for those of us that are trying to follow Jesus in this world. And maybe it's obvious, but if you're taking notes, write this down. It's just, this, it's this, that we, we need to expect temptations, all right? Uh, even as you follow Jesus, expect to be tempted uh, in this world every day. Expect to be tempted tomorrow. It's, it's going to be a Monday. And if you, if you look back to verse 13, notice what he says. He says, when tempted. All right? That, again, we should expect to go through trials. We should expect to be tempted. All right? We're going to be tempted. But, but James also tells us what not to do. Uh, the last half of verse 13, he says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. He just wants to make sure we're thinking correctly here because not only does he know that we will struggle with temptation, but he also knows that there's also this tendency at times to want to blame God. That we kind of feel like God is doing this to us, that he's tempting us. And so he's quick to remind us that because God is pure and holy, he's untemptable, all right? Which means that he will allow you and me to go through temptations, but God doesn't tempt us. All right, he will never tempt you or I with sin. And so James then proceeds to tell us where temptation comes from. Verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, it's worth noting that God has designed each of us to experience uh, desires that allow us to live, uh, to experience desires that allow us to enjoy the things of this world, things like hunger, things like thirst and sleep and physical satisfaction. These are important needs. These are needs that God created. These are desires in us. But the problems arise when we're tempted and when we're tempted to start satisfying these desires in ways that are outside of how God intended for them to be experienced. 
right? Like it's, it's those things. It's, that's when we get into trouble. Like look at it like this, like eating is a normal and a good thing, especially nachos, right? With lots of queso on top, right? that, that's a good thing. But stuffing yourself on food regularly is not a good thing. Sleep is important, all right? But being lazy is not a good thing. Sex is a wonderful gift from God, but he designed it to be enjoyed within the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. And so James says that we get into trouble when we act on these temptations, all right? When we act on these desires and we go looking to satisfy these things and desires while outside of the will of God. And look at the words that James uses if you're still looking at verse 14 there. Notice his words, dragged away, enticed. In fact, the Greek word for entice literally means to, it's the same word used for baiting a hook. All right, to, to bait a hook. And what's the purpose of baiting a hook? To catch an unsuspecting prey. Uh, last summer, I had the opportunity to take my boys uh, on a fishing trip, a, a salmon fishing trip with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. And uh, so we, we journeyed up to Grand Haven, Michigan, spent the night, got up early the next morning, and we got on one of those uh, charter boats to go out and to do some salmon fishing for the day on Lake Michigan. And uh, the charter boat experience is a wonderful thing because you don't have to do anything, right? I mean, they, they do all of it for you. It's amazing what money will buy. And so you just go out and enjoy being on the water. And again, they do all of the work. And so we had a good day. Uh, as you can see by this picture here, we had a lot of fun. We had a beautiful day. And my brother-in-law on the far right had a nice catch. My son Joel caught two on the same line, which was kind of fun. My son Luke caught the biggest fish. I caught one. And then the man who paid for it all didn't catch a thing, my father-in-law. But again, we still had a, a good time together. And I don't know if you noticed it or not, but again, one of the things about fishing on a charter experience is they, they're the experts, right? They, they do all the work. They have the depth finders and, and the fish finder, and they know the temperature of the water, and they know how the fish tend to act or react on any given day under the normal conditions or under any condition. And so you can see all the lures there. I don't know if you can notice them or not, even behind our feet. And again, what's the purpose of the lure? It's to to lure the fish. It's to lure the fish uh, into biting. It's a, to lure the fish into taking the line. And so the idea that James is try, trying to drive home here is that temptation is a lot like a baited hook. All right. And even as we think about our lives, like what happens when we bite at temptation, you get the hook. And so often the, the hook gets you and the bait then is a disguise really preventing us from seeing the consequences of our actions. And and that's the next point that James is going to make. Verse 15, he says, then after <clears throat> desire has conceived, and so we have these desires, we act on them. It says it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. And so I just, I want you to see how this process works. There's a process that James is trying to explain here that you and I, were going to go through trials all right, they're going to be difficult times. And because we have these built-in desires, especially in our times of, of trial, the temptation tends to follow. And when we feed these desires outside of the will of God, when we act on them, well, James says it gives way to sin. And the last time I checked, sin has done a pretty good job of bringing a lot of devastation and frustration to our world. It ruins lives. Uh, it ruins marriages. And James warns us that once sin is born, it does what a baby does over time. It grows, right? And it grows stronger. And we like to think that when we give into sin, we're just giving, getting it out of our system or uh, we're getting what we feel like is coming to us. But what we see here is that acting on sin is never the end of it. That once it's conceived in us, it's not long before it really takes a life uh, of its own. And 
And isn't it true? I mean, just, just think about how it works in your life as I think about how it has worked in my life. Like, think about the impact that personal sin has. Like, once it has given birth, it grows, and so often it can grow until, you know, we no longer have any control over it, and it doesn't stop when we want it to, and before long, we, we find ourselves doing things we've never imagined, and James reminds us again where sin ultimately le leads, you know, if left unresolved, and that's to death. That, that death is the punishment for our sin. And again, where does it all begin? With our desires, that we have these desires. And so often then there's a choice. Am I going to trust the Lord with these desires or am I going to act in my own ways? And Satan, here's what Satan does. Here's what the enemy does. He loves to tap into these desires. And he knows where we're weak, all right? And he, and he knows where we're vulnerable. And think about how Satan does a great job of disguising the hook with the perfect bait and at just the right time in our lives. But thankfully, James knows we're all in the same boat when it comes to sin, which is why he challenges us to take personal responsibility for your own desires in your heart so that they don't give birth to sin. And then he warns us just real emphatically, verse 16, he says, don't be deceived all right, my brothers and sisters. In other words, again, expect temptation, all right, every day, but don't give in to these temptations as they have the potential to cause incredible harm and chaos in your lives. But then James turns the corner, all right, because just about the time that we want to give up, just about the time that we want to lose hope and realizing, okay, this is, this is how weak I really am, all right, and I know what's coming before me, James doesn't want us to forget how good God is. And so in verse 17, he writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. James is just reminding us of who God is and how good he is and what he's capable of doing in our lives, that he is the source of all blessing, uh, that he is all that we could ever hope for or need. He describes God, first of all, as the one who is over all things. He calls him the Father of heavenly lights, meaning he's the one who created everything, in this world, everything good, that he is, he is dependable. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today and tomorrow for us. And then in verse 18, he reminds us of how God is gracious towards us. James writes, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. And here's the, what that is basically saying for us. It means that even though we sin, even though we are nothing on our own, James reminds us that God has offered us new life. He has offered us new hope through the redeeming work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That's our hope. And James just reminds them of that home, that the cross of Jesus is our way through. Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin in this world. It's the solution to the problem of sin in my life and the solution to the problem of sin for your life. And that, that, that's just big time for us. Like, and you know who realized that? James did. Like James had experienced this. James rejected his brother. He thought Jesus was crazy, but then the cross happened and James went, excuse me, firsthand the resurrection of Jesus and it changed his life. Like it changed the direction of his life for, forever. And so he was given new life and now he's reminding others of the new life they have been given or could receive. And so it just reminds us that we've got a greater purpose We've got greater reason for living in this world. Again, let's not forget who he's writing to. These are Christians. He says in verse one, scattered, you know, struggling to survive. And so James knows it's hard. And so again, his, his letter is an encouragement of don't give up. 
Like, don't give in. In fact, here's what James realizes. Again, he realizes that these Christians have been forced from their homes and that they've been getting, they're spreading out now around the world. They're in all of these foreign places. But he sees how God is going to use this. Right? He's, got a, he's got a brighter perspective of how God can use even this. And so he's ready, James realizes, he, he believes that God is ready to use these women and these men and these students and these kids living in all of these new places as a way of sharing the good news of Christ with them. That even in trials, God is still good. But knowing life is hard and knowing that temptation is real and destructive, James, first of all, encourages these Christians to go against the grain, all right, so that they can experience this new and this better life that God has for them, but also so that they can be a greater example for why living for Jesus is better than anything else in this world. And you know what? In the same way for us, all right, there are times when this life is tough. There are times when this life is trying. And there's a lot of growing pressure and there's a lot of hostility towards faith in Jesus today. All right, but add to that, again, the temptation all around us. And not only does this temptation have the potential to wreak havoc, all right, and chaos in our own lives and our families, but it also has the potential to damage any sort of influence that we hope to have with others in this world, those who have never put their faith in Christ. And so just like these Christians 2,000 years ago, James says, go against the grain, all right? Go against the grain. And he wants us to live out of this new life, a better life that we have through Christ. Lesson number two in your notes is just this. It's to embrace the new life that God offers. That's the challenge for us. Embrace the new life that God offers to you, a life that says, you know what? I belong to Christ, that my life was purchased by him. I have been redeemed by him, and he has forgiven my sin it's realizing that we were made for more, that we're not here just by accident. We're not here just to simply survive, but we are here for a purpose, all right, in bringing heaven to earth and helping other people find their way back to God. And how do we make it through? We talked about this again last week, but we abide in Jesus. We keep trusting in him so that through him, we can love God with all of our heart and soul, but that we can also love our neighbors as ourselves. And so then with this in mind, James shifts gears in this next section we're going to work through it quickly and begins to share some very straightforward advice on ways to embrace this new life by living out our faith in Jesus in very practical ways. He begins with verse 19. Again, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I realize that sounds like one of those the more you know moments from NBC, right? But it's more than a public service announcement. Trust me. All right. Again, James is writing to these Christians to wholeheartedly help uh, help them live out their faith. Again, he's writing to those who are suffering and scattered. He knows that in times of pain, he knows that when things get tough, he knows that when we're, we're living in fear, that it's a lot easier to overreact. It's a lot easier to speak out without thinking through some of the, uh, uh, the impact of our words and what others might perceive them to be. And why is that important? Because look what he says in verse 20. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the power of our tongue and our words and how our words can do good things in this world, but how our words also have the potential to do some really bad things in this world. And so again, as he's describing this new life, and we're going to look at this uh, these next four or five weeks together, all right, he, he, he reminds us, hey, your, your anger, it's, if, it's, if it's an unrighteous anger, it, it does no good all right, but, but he broadens the description of this new life uh, we're called to in this next verse, verse 21. He says, therefore, here's what you need to do. Get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent. All right, and so if there's anything that James wants us to remember here, it's that we need to, to be, you could say, ruthless about eliminating sin in our lives. I think James would say, don't, don't tolerate it. Uh, don't make excuses for the sin in your life. He says, I want you to rid yourself of it. And how do we get rid of it? Notice what he says. He says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And so where is our help? Our help is in the word of God. James says, our, our help is in knowing and, and reading and reflecting on the word of God. James knows that it's our, our source of direction. Again, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of why we are here and, and Christ's desire to work in us. And, and it's our source of direction for every matter of life in this world. Verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now, that sounds like pretty straightforward advice, but if you're a parent or if you've ever managed people before, you know that it's not enough sometimes to just tell people what you want them to do. Sometimes you have to tell them, I want you to do it, like do it, do it right now. Like I want, I want you to do these things. See, uh, the point that James is trying to stress here is that, I mean, we know, we realize that God's word is full of all of the wisdom. It's full of all the direction we need. But, and, and if we let it, if we make reading it and reflecting on it a regular part of our day, I mean, there are good things that can come from it. But it's not enough to read it. It's not enough to study it or even to know it. We have to put it to practice. Like James says, do what it says. Like, you know, uh, put these things to practice. Verse 23 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I, I kind of think James is being a little sarcastic here. I think it's kind of funny. All right, but the point of looking into a mirror, all right, is to know how you look so that you can adjust appropriately before you walk away. James explains how the same is true when it comes to knowing the word of God, that when we look to it, please, he says, don't walk away unchanged. Please don't forget what you've read, but we should walk away knowing what we want to change and doing these things so that we just look a little more and more like Jesus each day. He says, do these things. It's life. It's hope for us. In fact, look at how James describes it in verse 25. The promise is similar to how we ended last week. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. There's freedom from it. There's life in it and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. He says, they will be blessed in what they do. I led a funeral this past week. Uh, for a woman in our church by the name of Patricia Foster, and you may or may not have known her. Uh, she spent some time here over the last seven years of life, uh, uh, an older woman. Uh, she is the mother to Deborah Kerfman. Uh, if you know Deb or uh, granddaughters are uh, Kristen Quakenbush, Brittany Hensley, and Stephanie Millspaw. And uh, it, it was a wonderful celebration of her life. She lived a really long life. And uh, it was so sweet for me and I know for others just to see how well uh, Deborah and her daughters honored her mom at this funeral service of telling stories and laughing together. And certainly there were some tears. Her mom loved the Lord. 
everything about her mom was found in Jesus Christ, first of all. And she trusted him, and she leaned on him, and I mean, there were no doubts about who the most important person was to her. And uh, I, I snapped this picture of the table that sat in the visitation. They had uh, her mom's Bible. This is Patricia's Bible opened up, and I was just struck because every page is like this every page. And uh, I had the opportunity to read some of the notes off to the side. And I don't know if you can see there on the second page down in the left hand, kind of in the middle there, she just wrote me, uh, just as a way of saying, this is for me. Like, I, I believe the Lord has this for me today. And uh, I, I just, I know from, you know, she was making every effort to live out these words. Uh, she was making every effort to, to do what these words said. And and because here's what she realized, and here's what we need to realize too, that God's word is full of wisdom for us, and it's guidance, and it helps us better understand how we, we follow Jesus in this world, and it reminds us of who we are in Christ, and what Christ has accomplished in us, and what he wants to do through us, and his word, and here's what she realized, and here's what we must realize, well, it can help us overcome temptation, that when Satan, he provides the bait, and there's the temptation to take the hook that we would know in a moment like that that I bet God's word has something to say for me too about how I live and operate in this moment because he knows what I need. See, here's the thing. It's not enough to know it or even study it. The last note there is to listen to God's word and do what it says. Again, if we're not practicing it, if we're not making every effort to put these things uh, into our daily routine, I think this is the defining mark for true followers of Jesus in this world because it's not enough to know what God's Word says or to even attend church or to call yourself a Christian. No, a true mark of following Jesus is a life of obedience. I mean, we're talking about obedience here. A true mark of following Jesus is a life of obedience. And I think James had been around enough Pharisees in his life to realize, again, that it's not enough to just know something, but people will know who you really are by what you do and how you live your life. And I, I wonder if this at the same time was just personal for James. Like, again, many believe he opposed Jesus. I wonder if he struggled with that at times. I wondered if there was some guilt that popped up from time to time as he realized who he had been in the past. And again, I think he understood at least to some level some of the pain and frustration that he caused because of that. And so now he's writing to Christians, helping them to see that it's not enough to know God's word, but these are the times when you're going through trials, when you're tempted, put it to practice. Start putting it to practice. And there was no better time than to put it to practice when James realized that they would only stand to benefit personally, but he also realized that, hey, as you're out and about scattered around the world right now, feeling like a foreigner in a foreign place, you can influence others by the way that you live your life. And there's nothing more attractive than a follower of Jesus that who in trials keeps their head up and keeps trusting the Lord, and keeps putting their faith in the Lord. Because the flip side was equally, if not more dangerous, because James realized, I think, the effects of sin on any life, and at the same time, I think he also understood how devastating saying one thing and then living another way can really be. We call it hypocrisy, and it doesn't help. And hypocrisy doesn't draw people to Jesus. In fact, it pushes people away from him. And we are no good to an unbelieving world if we are not living out what we say and believe to be true. And so James says, listen, study, know God's word, but please, please 
do what it says. And not only will it benefit you and your desire to live out the new life, you have a new life through Jesus Christ, but it also has the potential of getting the attention of the people of this world that Jesus Christ has called us to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you. Um, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we could have life. But we are thankful for Jesus and the model and the example that he has provided for every single one of us for how life was meant to be lived. And Father, we want that to be our heart's desire today. We want to live as we believe you have called us to live. And we need your help, Lord. And, uh, you know, in, in very personal ways, you know, for every person here today, like you know every story, you know every situation, you know where we are weak, you know where we are strong, Lord. And we just thank you that in you, Lord, we have a friend, we have a father that you deeply love and care for us. And not only have you given Jesus as an example, but you've given us your presence to live by your presence here and today and tomorrow and everything that you have before us, Lord. Give us strength. Give us a desire for your word. And I pray that as we read your word, that we'll not only reflect on it, Lord, but we would seek ways to put it to practice for our own benefit, but also for the influence, the sake of the influence that you want to give us with others here in this world. Help us today. Give us wisdom and strength for today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, there's no greater model for us uh, for obedience than Christ and his day-to-day -day living and certainly giving his life on the cross. Uh, that, that's the greatest moment for us. Like that's, that's, that changes everything. You know, the hope that we have in Christ is because of what he has accomplished on the cross. And the scriptures teach us that we now have new life in the Lord, all right, that we have a new reason to live, that we have a new purpose and that's where we're putting our hope. That's where we want to place our hope. That's the identity that we have. Our identity, if you're in Jesus Christ, is in him. And if you don't know the Lord, I mean, that's what he offers to you. That, that's the free gift that he offers to every single person is to turn your life to the Lord and to trust him and to embrace the new life and to start living likewise because of it. I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing and close with this last song. Let's make it a great song of celebration for us as we go here today.